Good evening, Jays fans. Super excited to start this tonight. It's our first episode, so bear with us. I am Bryant Ott. I am one of the founders of whiteandbluereview.com. I write by Creighton Otter on the site. Um, and we've toyed a lot the last year or so with starting a podcast. Uh, we've got a number of guys on our side that have been looking to do something else. And so I just kind of took the plunge this year. And this is our first episode. Um, we're really excited to add another dimension to our Creighton Blue Jays athletics coverage. And we're hoping that um, that you really dig what we're trying to do here. We're really not trying to reinvent the wheel, uh, but rather give some of our contributor, our contributors and other guests an opportunity to talk about what they see on a day-to-day -day basis following Creighton Athletics, um, react and forecast on the successes of um, or struggles of our favorite Blue Jays programs. And ultimately, just give you guys and gals a different way to connect with White and Blue Review and follow Creighton Blue Jay Sports all year round. So with that, I just want to thank you guys for taking the plunge with us. We promise we'll get better um, on a on a podcast by podcast basis. Um, but I just want to jump right into things because um, we're going to also try to keep these short and sweet. Um, I've always been short. Not exactly sweet all the time, but somebody whose coverage has been pretty great for us ever since he started is going to be our first guest on the show tonight. That's Matt DeMoranis. Matt, uh, welcome to the program. We really appreciate you joining the fold on our podcast. We know you've got some experience doing this with some other entities here in the Omaha area. So thanks a lot for bringing your expertise here, for holding my hand as we walk through this first episode. But most importantly, thanks for um, giving all Jays fans some great coverage here the last couple of years. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be on while we, uh, you know, walk through this minefield of trying to record ourselves. Yeah. If people only knew how many times we've been running through this so far this evening, just to figure out where the weak link in the technology was, obviously it was going to be on my end. So, uh, we got it ironed out and we can jump right into getting Matt's thoughts on, um, obviously the team that around these parts always has people's, uh, attention and that's coach Max men's basketball program. Um, players are home now for a couple weeks before they get back onto campus, get started with the 2016, 2017 academic year. I know Matt, you had a little bit of an opportunity to watch some summer league games and you've obviously been following this team very closely the last couple of years. Um, maybe give uh, an idea for the for the folks listening at home, kind of what the program does at this time of year and how they're getting ready, both from the player's perspective, the coach's perspective, um, getting things start uh, ready to start when, when everybody gets on campus. Well, in regards to as far as what the coaches may be doing now, I think it's just with the kids, with the players back home, most of them anyway, some obviously are local, so – uh, you've, uh, if you follow social media, you've seen the Justin Pattons and Kyrie Thomases of the world wreaking havoc on campus with their uh, dancing abilities, or you know, however you'll judge that. Uh, so abilities is a loose term, right? Right, right. Um, yeah, for the coaches, they're just you know, this is you know, this is a time where they'll do some scouting for obviously future prospects. They'll have some visits. Um, you know, but mainly there's this is kind of like a period where they can also kind of recharge their batteries and get going. Um, you know, for when the players get back to school, and then you know, I think that you know next week, I think next Wednesday is when they all come back to campus and check in, and there'll be a few days there, and then individual workouts start firing up uh, with practice a month away. Okay, and with those individual workouts coming up, we've got. Injury updates the last couple days trickling in through social media and some other sources. Um, Zach Hansen dealing with a lower leg issue. Cole Huff and uh, Cole Huff dealing with some cleanup knee surgery. Sounds like. Um, what can you kind of report on the the health status of a couple of these Blue Jays and um, you know where they are 
in regards to where they'll need to be here in the next couple weeks? Um, unfortunately, not much because I haven't actually spoken with them, but it sounds like Zach's injury is a little bit, his timetable for recovery is a little bit longer than was originally expected, which is, um, you know, he'll still, I, it sounds like he'll still have most of the season available to him to have an impact, but uh, still not the news you want to hear as far as maybe having him ready um, for the start of the season as opposed to he might be a little bit behind on conditioning and that sort of thing. You know, he'll fall even further behind because we missed a lot of practice time. Um, with Huff, he's, uh, I think he was out um, at his elite camp doing um, his various rehabs and working with guys. His, uh, his AAU coach is still involved with them and um, is pretty loyal to his guys. Once they go to college, he likes to follow them around, visit their campuses across the country. And sure. um, that's obviously Clint Parks, for those who don't know who he is. He's a you know, pretty nice guy. But he's, you know, he's very uh, supportive of his the players that have come through his program. So he always, you know, keeps the tabs on them. And um, it sounds like Cole is gonna, you know, if he can get those issues worked out with his knees. Obviously, he had a good season last year playing through all that, all the pain. Um, but it's, uh, you know, if he can get that put behind him, he's poised to kind of have a pretty big senior season with everybody kind of. You know, focusing on Marcus Foster and Maurice Watson Jr. and you know Justin Patton and obviously the new talent they brought in. Uh, I think Cole's kind of getting lost in the shuffle here. Yet he's the guy who, you know, dropped 35 on the eventual Big East tournament champions in Madison Square Garden. So he's a guy that could really be now, since everybody's not talking about him very much, he's kind of an X factor almost. Which yeah, is the I thought role that was kind of kind interesting. Of you obviously see the headlines in a lot of these publications in the summer. They feed off one another, right? So the, the Foster and Watson Jr. storyline is getting some traction. Um, obviously, it has locally because everybody's just been, let's be honest, kind of counting down the days till Marcus got on the floor for us in a meaningful sure. game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people have really taken up on this best backcourt in the Big East. Um projection and i'm sure there's a lot of guys in philadelphia and cincinnati and some other cities out east that would would uh have some arguments with that but like you said cole's been kind of flying underneath there and and he's he's a guy that's going to certainly benefit from attention both um in the in the public persona and the public sphere but more importantly right on the on the on the on the hardwood he's going to get a lot of opportunities if he's healthy to knock down open shots and Mm -hmm and benefit from some really heady guard play. So obviously Jays fans holding their breath that Huff can um, work through some of those injury issues. Um, speaking of which, Isaiah Zierden, uh getting getting healthy. Martin also getting healthy. Uh, going to be cleared, according to John Rothstein, going to be cleared for for action here in the coming weeks. Um, obviously those guys are at different ends of the spectrum in terms of how long they've been on campus, but both of them looking for a role. Right. Yeah. Obviously Isaiah finds himself in an interesting position as, you know, a fifth year senior who's, you know, kind of been put through the gauntlet of various injuries and various severe injuries to battle back. And, you know, he constantly tries to find his way back on the floor um, he kind of he like he's he's a he's a whipping boy of sorts for you know some contingent of the fan base just because for various reasons of fan logic and uh, <laughs> but there's no question that Creighton obviously means a lot to him otherwise you know two injuries ago he would have called that a basketball career and just graduated and went on his way. But, uh, you know, that you can tell that this means something to him to put on that jersey and, to, you know, to play and to see his career out the way he wants to. And so, I, but he finds himself in a difficult position, you know, even if he can get back to 100% because that backcourt is filling up with a lot of, a lot of, a lot of talent, a lot of ability, a lot of different, lift different abilities as far as athleticism, guys that can shoot, guys that can create, um, guys that can defend. Um, so he's, he's, 
he's going to have to, you know, he's going to be in for a battle, and most of those guys are along with him for playing time in that backcourt. Yeah, I think somebody on the Blue Jay Underground, the message board that the White and Blue Review, um, kind of Blue Jay Network, I guess you could say, uh, operates. Someone really uh, playing off of a World Herald article, um, you know, Coach Mack now with, you think back to when he started here to now, the athleticism and just some of that playmaking ability is much more uh, fertile now on the roster than maybe it was at the start. And that's not a mm-hmm. knock against the guys that were there. Um, but you're recruiting for a whole different scenario now, um, in the big East. And, and you got guys like Davion Mintz coming in. Um, obviously Kobe, uh, Paris, who was a late addition, but a much heralded one And all of that play out on the perimeter now is you would hope going to be dictated by who's, able to match up with these other guards and these other perimeter players in the big East and certainly with a steady hand, but you're looking also for immediate injection of athleticism and that next level ability to finish and uh, to play some defense. Is that one of the things that you'll be looking for as you start to get down to campus when they get back and you start to go to the championship center and, and watch practice on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. I kind of caught myself, I kind of caught myself looking at the roster kind of to see maybe how it might shake down or maybe how, you know, a style might fit this group. And I think this year more than ever, they'll, you know, they'll put a huge emphasis on tempo. Um, I know they like to push the pace, but tempo isn't necessarily a thing that has been, you know, something that they've done at the, you know, at the top of the NCAA, you know, rankings. But I think, this year might be something that, you know, they can really, really push the pace with, with Maurice Watson and then having an athletic backup in the Davion Mintz and then having Marcus Foster play beside him with, you know, a Kyrie Thomas on the floor or a Kobe Paris on the floor, you know, if he can, you know, be as advertised through practices. Because, you know, Coach McDermott and that coaching staff, it's not your, – your reputation doesn't get you on the floor. You know, you have to. They 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 start from they they recruit you. They look for how you'll fit in their style, and they they make you work for your playing time. So, um, yeah, I'm interested to see because I know live by the three, die by the three can obviously lead to dying by the three, which is you know you want to know if you're having. I feel like I feel like we've suffered some deaths the last couple years. I don't really want to rehash here, so. Maybe just exactly. focus on so, the tempo piece. <laughs> so if you're so if you're so if you're in one of those games with this kind of a roster, with this with the with the various versatility on this team, where you find yourself maybe, you know, a, where you're at, where you're experiencing a slow death by the three, you know, you can create different areas for scoring. You can have Marcus and Maurice attack more. You can have Davion attack more. Uh, you can have guys getting inside and, you know, creating shots that way and getting to the foul line and that sort of thing, kind of racking up points that way. And obviously on the defensive end, uh, you know, what we've seen out of Marcus Foster and Kyrie Thomas is guys that when they want to be and when they really, really, you know, get down and, you know, just say you're not going to score on me, they, they can be the best defenders on the floor. So you they can be locked down guys. So that can obviously lead to if you can clean up the glass just fine and besides the different issue with Jeffrey Grizzell not in the mix anymore and Zach Hansen banked up. But if you can clean up the glass, you, know, you can get out and find some easy buckets in transition too. So there's there's different ways to score this year. They can be more creative. I think they can be you know, I think they can adjust the way the style they play a little bit where they don't necessarily revolve around spreading the floor every single time down and trying to just find the, you know, best wide open three as in the past they used to say wide open threes are like layups to them well mm-hmm. you know I think rosters they can, change and, and strategies yeah, the change to those bit, rosters yeah. exactly so I'm kind of curious to see you know what kind of styles they implement and if they try to uh, exploit some of this uh, you know revamped athleticism yeah, I mean, you're not going to be trading uh, state secrets for us, but we are certainly going to rely on you pretty heavily, Matt, as you work that beat and you're at practice on a regular basis. And I think 
our readers, our listeners are really going to rely on getting that sense, that feeling of what it's like day in, day out at those practices. Because I think, mm-hmm. obviously, talking about it now, it gets, the, it gets the blood going. And people love this program, and they want to see it succeed. They want to see it rise back up to NCAA tournament appearances year in and year out. And um, I think you're going to be a conduit for us to get a sense of how that's coming along because these next couple of years with – um, the transfers that have been brought in and then just that next level of athleticism and, and playmaker when you start to think about Tyshawn next year coming in, Mitch folks coming in. Um, it's a really important time for the program, so we're really excited that you're going to be able to be there and, and document it for us in all the different ways that you do. Um, you just let us know if you know there's just stuff we can't know about. We, we won't press you, but... Um, and we know, sure. we know that Coach Mack and those guys trust you, so um, nothing will be off limits unless you say it is, and then we'll just kind of say they shot a bunch of threes and we'll move on. There you go. All right. Um, speaking of moving on, I think we've covered enough uh, for the team that won't even start playing meaningful games for a couple months. Um, let's segue into a program on campus that certainly played a lot of meaningful games last year. Um, took the collegiate volleyball community uh, by storm, making its first ever Sweet 16. Uh, we're talking about Kirsten Bernthal Booth's Creighton Blue Jays. They get ready to start their season in earnest this weekend with the blue-white scrimmage. I know you had a chance, Matt, to um, sit down with Coach Booth uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks and and get connected with her again about how things ended last year and how things are shaping up. I know we've got an interview that you uh, conducted with her. It's a couple minutes long, so before we go into that and play that, um, I'd, I'd really like to hear what your impressions are when you were down there at practice a couple days and just what the um, atmosphere is like surrounding that program as they obviously try to build off of uh, a Sweet 16 appearance, another Big East championship, and just all of the positive vibes that seem to be coming from Sokol Arena. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, for one thing, the volleyball practice is a unique experience. If, for those who haven't ever had a chance to partake in that, it's, you know, very energetic, very, you know, very loud. You know, you can you can attend a practice and be upstairs in the Ryan Center to close door office so and still hear what's going on. But with uh, Kate Elman graduated, that is a little bit different this year. You don't necessarily <laughs> okay. hear her as much. Okay. But, uh but, yeah, there's a lot of energy on campus right now, mainly because, you know, they just hung up that Sweet 16 banner, um, you know, right before they got, you know, started with practice and everything. And uh, one of the things uh, which Booth mentioned was she uh, there's a lot of space on it. And, uh, you know, I kind of remarked, I was like, well, I think they expect you to fill it in rather yeah. quickly and frequently. And she's like, yeah, I think we'll. I think I'll be long dead before it's filled in. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the point is, the point is up there, and it's a thing now that where it becomes, you know, in the past we were always talking about a bar that they are trying to clear, um, and that's one more that they were able to last year. Uh, one of the things she likes to talk about, or has liked to talk about in, the, in past years as far as building this program, has been, you know, going from, you know ranked number 150 to being ranked in the top 30 was a lot easier jump to make than going from 30 to 20. Sure. So now they're, now they've made the jump from 20 into, you know, that 15, 16, 17 range. So now they find themselves with another hurdle to clear as far as getting into that top 10 range where you're talking about making up eight eights, where you're talking about making final fours. And obviously Omaha with the Century League Center as, you know, a relatively new arena and something that hosts a lot of great events, you know, a chance to potentially play a Final Four, you know, right down the street from your campus, literally. So that's something that excites her. It excites everybody on the team. Um, I also had a chance to speak to Jaylee Winters, who's obviously um, entering her sophomore year after, a, you know, a third-team All-American season as a freshman. More importantly, she's about to take the mantle of the next Ankeny Bulldog because we have Ryan Sears from Ankeny, That's Iowa, right. who established that a long ago, follower of WBR, a friend of WBR, and now Jaylee, ready to take that on because 
wow, was she something to behold last year just as a true freshman. Absolutely. Yeah. Even wears his old number, number five. Yep. So she, she fills all the role. She has that same attitude he had as a player and actually uh, still has now, which is funny because, uh, but yeah, she, she doesn't pull any punches as far as what her expectations for herself or for her team should be. You know, she, when you talk to her and when you talk, when I talked to her last year for the first time, you know, a couple practices into her college career, she wasn't shy about talking about, you know, Final Fours and doing all that sort of thing. And that hasn't changed certainly at all with the success that they experienced last year being unprecedented for the program. So once again, you know, she has high expectations for herself. I will say that she has not updated her individual goals list yet, but she's working on that. <laughs> obviously, obviously, last year she she crossed them off quite early into her college career. So yeah, she's going to have to yeah. push herself to get creative here with the with the sophomore list. Exactly. Yeah, she says she's still working on that. So I'm, I will have that for you as soon as she's ready to introduce it to the world. We we appreciate that. Um, we also certainly appreciate the time you're able to spend with Coach Booth and talking about um, goals, talking about the future. You were able to speak with her. We've got about a four-minute interview that you conducted with her after a recent practice. We're going to go ahead and play that here, and then we'll just follow back up here. So, everybody, this is Matt DeMoranis talking to Creighton women's volleyball coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth about how last season ended and what the future looks like for her in the Blue Jays program? Uh, but this is, you know, obviously a question I wanted to kind of get your take on. But, you know, with everything being so fresh and with obviously you guys still playing, going out to L.A., you know, it wasn't really time to talk about it. But did you have a chance to sit down this summer and kind of just, I don't know, absorb what this season meant last year to you as far as getting that Space 16? You know, you know? I think, um, first of all, we really, as a staff, enjoyed it last year during the process. Um, it, was, it was such a great group. And I feel that same feeling about this group. I mean, they're just really enjoyable people. Mm -hmm. um, so the run of the Sweet 16 was um, obviously incredible, but the journey was really awesome. I think you saw that. Um, and, you know, hopefully we'll have a great journey, whatever the outcome is. I can tell you that... Winning the conference, oh my gosh, we're you know we're in the mix. Let's let's go to a final four, you know, like so that so that's been kind of fun. How it's kind of driven us to, um, you know, it's definitely not a situation that you feel satisfied. It's almost just like you want more and more and more. That that touched on something I was going to ask. Also, most you know, when coaches, you know, in I'll say you're young, even though you like to joke, but uh, you know, most coaches are young, up and coming. And, you know, building programs, once they get that Sweet 16, it's almost like a stepping stone to go off to a big-time power perennial school and make a lot of money and do all this sort of thing. But you talk about the way it kind of drives you to even advance this thing further. Yeah. Was that kind of in the back of your mind? Because I'm sure you had calls saying, is Kirsten available and that sort of thing during the offseason as it goes. But was there ever a doubt in your mind that saying, no, I want an Elite 8 at Creighton, I want a Final Four at Creighton, that sort of thing? You know, um... I love it here. If I was, if I didn't love it here, uh, I would be someplace else. Yeah. You know, I think um, sometimes in life we don't appreciate when we're in good situations. I, um, I have incredible athletes. I, I like kind of the underdog mentality. I kind of like that uh, not being at that Power Five institution. And I think part of it is I really believe in the Creighton mission. Yeah. Um, I really believe in student athlete first, um, and that getting an education. And we have an AD that believes that. Um, so I, you know, the idea of going someplace else where sports are king, um, I shouldn't say sports are king, but that you lose kind of reality of that is not appealing mm -hmm. to me. Um, you know, so I just, I think we can do things here. You know, the day that we run into situations where we can't compete, you know, maybe that's when you'd evaluate, but, um. But I, I love it here. I love the people here. I love my, you know, the players that I get to work with, um, and I love Omaha. You know, there's a lot of personal reasons, but also, sure. it, but professional reasons too. I mean, if I was single and had no ties, I could still see myself be here. You know, it's it is a great place. It's why we retain a lot of our coaches, and it's why our student athletes stay. I mean, our faculty are great. You know, you know this. I mean, it's it, I believe in what what Creighton is. I, I I can go into every recruit visit 
and with my whole heart say your kid's going to have a great experience here and um, you know I wouldn't want to be at a place that I was selling you know so you heard it right there Kirsten Bernthal Booth loves it at Creighton loves the Creighton mission has great athletes but also keeps that underdog chip right she loves that um, underdog and uh, mentality it's something that Certainly, if you think back to where this program was even before she came, uh, to say they were underdogs is being generous, frankly. Um, I, you know, I think they had to graduate to be underdogs. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest. We're going to talk about the Civic Auditorium you know, being uh, demolished later on in the show and, and my memories of that. My first memory of going to a Creighton volleyball match was actually watching them play at South High School my freshman year of college at Creighton, 1998, because I had some good friends from the dorms on that team, and we were pretty much the only people that showed up. And uh, to think where they are now, the fact that they're heading out to the USC Radisson Classic here in a couple weeks to take on Northern Iowa, Kentucky, and that Southern California team, um, and that they'll, you know, that they'll be more than competitive in that scenario and probably take what we know will be a a top 25 preseason ranking into the mix out there. You can't say enough, Matt, about what she's done and what this program's accomplished so far, but you can clearly tell in that interview and, and in your your dealings with her that they are more than hungry for more. Absolutely. Yeah, that was, you know, one of her big points of emphasis. And, you know, it's one of the – it's not like a conversation we get to have very often about, you know, job hunting and or who's pursuing her and that sort of thing because – Obviously, it's something that doesn't make you comfortable talking about it in the season. But you know, when you when you see you know that she's where she started from with this program, what it is now, she kind of feels, and she t- and obviously she mentioned that in the interviews that there's no reason, there's no ceiling where she's currently at, and then obviously she has personal reasons that she wants to be here uh, with her you know young family kind of growing up here. Um, but you know, until she runs into barriers where they're no longer able to compete at a level she believes they should be able to, then, you know, that's then only then will she, you know, reevaluate her situation and maybe think that it's time to move to a different school. But, you know, other than that, there's no reason, according to her, that, Creighton isn't the place that she can do everything that she wants to do as a head coach and as someone who is in charge of a program. And that program will get things started for the 2016-2017 season here. This weekend with that blue-white scrimmage, I know, Matt, you're going to be hanging around the program all season. We've also got a couple new contributors to WBR that will be covering some of those um, some of those matches and, and following this team as they look to build on that Sweet 16 appearance um, and and accomplished filling up that banner that has been hoisted in Sokol Arena. Um, but I'd, re- I'd like to shift right now to this to this next topic, and it's you know the the two teams that have actually gotten some time in now on the field of play, and and um, the men's and women's soccer programs, Coach Pauly. Uh, and Coach Bolovich's teams with some exhibitions under the belts now. Coach Polly's team starts this weekend in, in regular season action. I know you've done a couple pieces on the site about that program so far um, and watched him last season in his first year at the helm. Um, really love to get your first impressions about this team, which is laden with newcomers how you see things shaping up so far for Ross Pauley's program um, as they get ready to start his second season at Creighton. Right. As you, you know, as you mentioned that there are a lot of newcomers, I think they have 16 new players or 15 new players, I think. Um, and, you know, they all came in uh, and impressed, impressed me as, you know, as an outside observer on day one, but also impressed the coaching staff. I think more than they were probably anticipating on day one, I think they knew they had a talented class coming in, a class that could kind of change things a little bit and help them, you know, take that next step to where they want to be, which, by the way, uh, we talked about Jaylee Winters talking about Final Fours and 
all that sort of thing. That's that's what Ross Pauley's talking about too for this program. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't think there's any limitations for the program when they get to use you know the championship center and you know Rasmussen Center and DBS Oakland Arena and or the Ryan Center and uh, Morrison Stadium being one of the best home facilities in the country to you know play oh, soccer. On, Matt, it's that. the best. You don't have to. You don't have to parse words here. It's the best facility, and and he's exactly right. When you have a perennial college cup team that you're sharing that facility with, it's got to make you envious. It's got to, you know, it's got to nag at you that that you got to hurry up. You got to get it to that point because you know it's possible. I know that I know that the landscapes are a lot different, um, but that for a competitive guy like Ross Pauly, it's got to be it's got to be a driving force, right? Absolutely, because when you consider who he is. He is the, you know, one. He was one of the best uh, key contributors on Creighton men's soccer's original, very first college cup team, where they were playing home matches at Tranquility. So another venue you know, bring... that none of my friends went to when we <laughs> when we had a national cha- championship uh, caliber soccer team. Mike Gab's going to hate me saying that, but I think I went to two soccer matches at Tranquility my four years at Creighton. It's just, it's stunning. You talk about all of the facilities that you just rattled off, just how the landscape has changed, and it's got to benefit a guy like Ross Pauly in a program like the Creighton Women's Soccer Program if they can get the players in that can that can use those facilities and really maximize their potential. Yeah, I don't even think I don't even think uh, that's the right word. I think the word is anger. He gets on the campus and he's like, "Why is this program not at a higher level right now?" <laughs> and that's how he approaches every single day. He's like. We're not where we should be, and I'm not going to take anything less than where we should be. Sure. You know, when he gets to, when he gets to walk to these facilities every day, and I've asked him, you know, I've talked to him plenty of times about what it was, you know, trying to compare it to his college days, and he just starts laughing at me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he's like, it's ridiculous, the things that these athletes have at their disposal, and there's no reason that they should be settling for you know, not qualifying for your own conference tournament, especially when you host it. Um, like yeah. last year, that that eight of them, that eight of the players, uh, and it's something that he wants to change immediately going into the season. Um, and actually, he doesn't want to qualify for the Big East tournament this year. He wants to win the Big East tournament this year. So, right there, that you know, he just constantly has a high bar for these kids. But you know, the newcomers he brought in, um, he was really excited about them coming in. He knew that. You know, there was a, a lot of talent coming in, and they came in in shape. Um, their first round of fitness testing went really well for most of the newcomers, which is a pretty, you know, big surprise because you usually expect the uh, experienced players to, you know, have that level, you know, and kind of show the newcomers what it's like at this level. But the newcomers were the ones who came in really ready to go and really ready to play from the start. So you're going to see a lot of new faces on the field. Um, in the back line, NC State transfer um, Mackenzie Grayville will be, I think, the center back on the left side. And next to her will be uh, Gabriella Braga, a transfer from Brazil. And I think Brazil's pretty good at soccer right here. A little so. bit. Yeah, they got some um, stuff on Yeah, so those two are pretty, they're very fast. They have good work rates. Um, so they're new additions to the back line um, in front of Aaron Scott, who will be in her second year as the starting keeper after it. Uh, you know, a solid freshman season, but, you know, one where a lot of goals went into their net, so they're trying to cut that number down significantly after finishing less in the Big East and goals allowed. Mm-hmm. But then up top you have Warren Sullivan, who's, you know, knocking on the doors, possibly finishing, you know, top three all-time Creighton goal scorers in her fourth year. And uh, you add um, a freshman in Karen Jakubowski and Hannah Miller and good ball strikers up top with her and uh, Kyra Hauser's in her second season. And, you know, behind her is uh, midfielder Darby Hugoon, who's in her fourth year, even though she's a redshirt junior. Um, So there's a lot of creativity up top. There's a lot of talent up top. And there's a lot of speed all over the field, a lot more speed than they had last year. So it's more of the type of style of soccer that Ross wants to play at Creighton, and I think they'll see that right away. Um, at least that's what I've seen in practices so far. So sure. their first game is tomorrow night against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Will be their first kind of audition to you know start 
taking those steps towards what they want to do, which is win the Big East this year. Yeah, they play Iowa Friday night at Morrison Stadium, 7 p.m. Sunday they welcome the the mighty kangaroos of Missouri-Kansas City for a, one of those wonderful mid-August 1 o'clock afternoon starts on the pitch at Morrison. It um, will be really interesting to see what this team looks like in those first two games starting at home. But they bookend um, what up until probably last season with, with Coach Booth's team was Creighton's only realistic shot at a national championship on campus. Um, Coach Bolovich's Creighton men's soccer team have been so close so many times, both under Coach Bolovich and then in the previous coaching um, legacies by Coach Warming and Coach Simon and others. But um, you had a chance to be out at Morrison last night for the exhibition against Missouri State. You filed a piece to WBR late last night about what you saw and you had a chance to talk to Coach Bolovich and some of the other coaches on the staff. Um, what do things look like right now for our perennial College Cup contenders? And and how do you think? How do you see things shaking out here as the season gets going for them? They host Wisconsin in an exhibition game Saturday night at Morrison. Yeah, I don't think College Cup got brought up too much after last night's match. Um, <laughs> right. Other than that's what they want to be doing at the end of the year. They're longing for those college cup teams after last night's (laughs) performance is what you're saying? Right, right. Expectations are college cup, but the product on the field isn't ready to, you know, handle those expectations just yet. It was, uh, you know, there was kind of really, really struggled in all phases of the game. And um, it was, it's, it's always funny watching, you know, Elmar's team from up in the press box sometimes, uh, sometimes you think they're playing, they're struggling a little bit, but you're watching the number one team in the nation, so your standards are a little different. And then last night you're watching a team that's ranked seventh in the country coming in, but that's based on how they finished last year. So, you know, they're kind of overrated at the moment, and you're thinking that. And then you go down on the field, and you don't really know how Elmar's going to react to your question of whether you thought they struggled or played well or however it is. So I kind of just let him into a – one of those old, good old, what, do you, what did you think about that one? And it didn't, you know, he didn't pull any punches. Um, he really yeah, I mean, you talk about angry soccer coaches like Coach Pauly potentially. I mean, we got the original angry German here. Um, and you and you got him You got him on record. I mean, the quote, the, the quote that you posted last night from Coach Bulovich, I'll read it on the site. A lot of it has to do with the midfield, he said. We never really could pressure the ball in the midfield. Our midfield was very pedestrian in the first half and the second half. No intensity. Nobody set the tone in there. So now the back line is overworked because they don't know when to step. They don't know when to drop. They had all sorts of problems facing them, which normally should be taken care of by our midfielders and making play predictable. Tonight, everything was unpredictable. And you recorded that. Is that... Typical Coach Bolovich speech, especially early in an exhibition season as they have time to work out the kinks, or is he really missing uh, the midfield pieces and that continuity that he's had there um, in recent seasons? Well, it's hard to say if he's missing them because, I mean, obviously Timo Pitta and, you know, is an All-American that he doesn't have at his disposal anymore playing for, you know, he's in the MLS now and, mm-hmm. You know, Fernando Castellanos is not there anymore. You know, but they have, you know, Evan Waldrop, who's, a, you know, a Team USA guy, um, you know, on the youth programs, you know, stepping in. And um, it's not it, – I don't know if it's an issue yet of whether they can not re- necessarily rely on the guys that they have in the midfield. It's just they didn't perform last night and sure. they had to perform up to the level he expects them to. You know, based on the styles they've played in the past, which is also something he's still juggling um, this year, and he said it's going to be kind of a work in progress about what style he wants to play with this group and how best um, to get this group to perform at a high level. Because they're not going to have, you know, obviously playing in the Big East, they're, you know, that's one of the top conferences in the country. And then, you know, they have road matches at Clemson, which was, you know, the runner-up, national runner-up last year to Stanford. So, you know, their schedule isn't going to be very forgiving while they figure this stuff out. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the other, you know, comments he made last night was he's hoping they can kind of cheat their way through, you know, the early portions of the schedule until they can hit their stride 
you know, to get to where they want to be at the end of the season. But, yeah, just it was pretty disjointed last night. You know, the back line was constantly uh, giving up runs to, go, to the goal from, you know, Missouri State attackers. And the front line was, you know, the front line was a little off on their touches um, with the exception of Akeem Ward, who's a newcomer um, out of Hastings College uh, with a night. He had a nice uh, little three ball to Ricky Lopez-Eston for the second goal in the second half. But, you know, most of the touches in the box or, you know, on Missouri State's side weren't weren't very crisp. They didn't get very many clean looks at scoring goals. So, you know, it wasn't it was there wasn't any much positive to take away from that performance other than, you know, a few we used to do on the site way back in the day. I felt like I was playing Google Calendar though. Uh, for all the Jays fans out there that were well in tune with what was going on down at the Hilltop. But this is our What's on Tap segment where we just take a real quick look at the next four or five days of Creighton Blue Jays athletics. Matt's constantly down on the Hilltop watching practice, going to games, talking to coaches, talking to players. So I know you'll be at a lot of these contests, Matt, but we're just going to set the stage quick for anybody that's looking for for what's going on and is too lazy to google it themselves like so many people are myself included friday tomorrow night so we record this on a thursday tomorrow night we've got um, a couple events down on the hilltop we've got coach coach booth's volleyball program has their annual blue white scrimmage open to the public free of charge and at the same time the women's soccer team will be getting their regular season started against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Are you covering any of those tomorrow night, Matt? You're going to be down on campus? I will be. I will be at uh, the regular season debut for women's soccer. Um, you know, when I usually decide which game I want to cover, I'll always choose one that counts over one that doesn't. So, <laughs> You're a good man. That works. <laughs> um, um, but I did have a chance to see the volleyball team scrimmage the other day. Um, so I kind of think I've already seen what, they're, what people are going to see tomorrow night. And, uh, uh, I think people will be, you know, impressed with the offensive firepower that's back this year. Obviously, with Jaylee Winters on the outside and Lauren Smith and Marissa Wilkinson in the middle. Um, Purdue transfer Lydia Dimekey at setter has been had a really good scrimmage, especially setting up her middles and Smith and uh, Wilkinson, and then uh, redshirt freshman and uh, Jaylee Winters. Um, childhood volleyball Robin to her Batman, if you will, from Ankeny. Yeah. Megan Ballinger had a really good, a really good scrimmage as well. So there's a lot of a lot of talent in that front line and that in those hitters that is going to make uh, Kirsten Bernthal Booth have some sleepless nights deciding playing time, but it'll also make fans really excited about the future of you know the firepower that's at Creighton. Sure, a good problem to have, obviously. Public will get their first look tomorrow night of of that program. Then Saturday night, folks are back for the aforementioned uh, men's soccer exhibition against Wisconsin. Um, Badgers are the biggest name on Creighton men's basketball's non-conference schedule here a couple months from now, but the men's soccer team will be coming to Morrison, get their experience in an exhibition setting uh, against a Bolovich team that based on his feedback and how things went on the pitch last night, we'll be looking for um, some big improvements in this, in this exhibition game. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be an interesting test for them. Um, you know, obviously they're not going to have all of the issues that, you know, plagued them the other night ironed out, but you know, it's another chance to get a game under their belt against an opponent that is different than themselves which is, you know, valuable, and it also won't count if they lose 7 or nothing. so they don't have to worry about it either way. It's just another chance for them to improve before they open the season um, the following week on the road at Rutgers. Sure. Um, Sunday afternoon, we mentioned Missouri-Kansas City up against Ross Pauley's team. Um, haven't had a chance really yet to take a look at UMKC, but it's got to be nice for Coach Pauley's team to get two home games right off the bat especially with all the newcomers that they've gotten the fold. For sure. And UMKC is a team that is always really a good gauge to figure out what kind of a Creighton club, you know, uh, the women's soccer program has because they usually always play them tight. But mm-hmm. 
I know this is one that Ross probably wants back because they lost a, I believe it was one nothing last year down in Kansas City. Yeah. Um, and it was on. Uh, I think you know Aaron Scott made an incredible save on a penalty kick, but, but in uh, in Creighton fashion, they didn't cover the, uh, they didn't mark up the deflection on the penalty kick, so it ended up. UNKC ended up scoring on the play anyway, sure. despite Aaron Scott's save and ended up going as the uh, as the game-winning goal. Actually, I think it was 2-1 to one now that I think about it. But that was the decider, so I think it's one that they want back. And it'll also be a good measuring stick to see kind of, you know, the improvements that they've made from over the last year. Okay. And really that's all that's on the radar um, between now and when we'll, we'll speak next Thursday night because then that weekend, Friday, August 26th, gets – Gets things going, um, like we mentioned, like you just mentioned, men's soccer will head out for their regular season opener out uh, in New Jersey. So that's what's on tap for Creighton Athletics this weekend. Um, Matt, I, I really want to thank you and certainly stick around for this next kind of final <clears throat> parting words here. But um, this week in Omaha, they started the demolition of the Omaha Civic Auditorium, which hosted and was the home of Creighton men's basketball for quite some time. Also, the women's basketball team, volleyball program played there as well. And um, so just on a whim, you know, a couple days ago from our at white and blue review handle on Twitter, sent out a call for people's, you know, best memories, uh, interesting stories from watching any or all the Blue Jay programs that called the Civic home. You see, that's where I learned uh a lot of the game of basketball that i know was going to watch coach baroni's teams and unfortunately coach johnson's teams but then <laughs> rising up with the altman uh rebuild hey, those, of that program those coach johnson teams were my first my first team so he um, has a soft spot in my heart nowhere, nowhere to go but up matt <laughs> um jerry no, van I mean, Ride, jerry van Ride is all i remember i was you know too it. little to process anything else <laughs> I just thought it was awesome that he wore a mouthpiece. That was like the coolest thing that I, because the only people I had seen that wore mouthpieces at that point were boxers and football players. So yeah. Jerry was pretty damn cool. My only uh, memory of that is that I was, I was, I got in a lot of trouble in school that day. Okay. And, or the day before my dad was supposed to take me to that game. And he laid into me that night and told me I wasn't going to get to go based on my behavior if I didn't change in the next 24 hours. So I had to be a perfect angel to get to go to that game. I don't remember anything about it, but I know they played UNO, and I know the PA announcer said Jerry Vanderheide's name a lot, so I'm assuming he scored a lot of points. And, and that's how he became your favorite player growing up. Yeah, exactly. That's why you still have the Jerry Vanderheide poster on your wall, right? <laughs> right. Okay. Exactly. That I drew myself. Right. So, I mean, we got a lot of that. We got um, we ran the gamut, right? We had folks say that the only Creighton sporting event that they ever witnessed at the Civic Auditorium was the 2010 CIT quote-unquote home game against awesome. South Dakota, which, um, you know, that's that's an interesting perspective to get. We know a lot of Creighton fans have have kind of been along here for the ride since Coach Altman kind of closed down the Civic and opened up the Quest Center, now the CenturyLink Center, but it was interesting to see that some people don't even know what that experience was like to be in the old barn. Um, all the way to one of the former players under... Uh, in the in the in, in the Blue Jay program, Doug Swenson, who's a big follower of White and Blue Review, and a great recommendation for everybody to follow, by the way, because he's constantly his back and forth with Kevin McKenna, old Creighton coach now at Oregon, are fantastic, and he's constantly talking about you know those days in the old gym under Coach Altman. So if you're not following him, I forget what his handle is at Common Common Swenson. Think is what it is. Yep, at Common he's Swenson. someone that all Jays fans. Yeah, all Jays fans need to follow that guy. And and really, what he what he documented here was a game that you know I I clearly remember watching as a fan and and being kind of beside myself um, as a senior in high school. Uh, it was it was one of those linchpins that that Altman um, used to really really start to cut into the um, the interest in basketball, collegiate basketball in the city. Um, Nebraska came to town to the Civic, 1997, 98. This is early in that season. You know, a season that would end up with 
Coach Altman's team winning the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament down in St. Louis, uh, winning a game in the NCAA Tournament, um, thanks to Hot Rod. Um, but, you know, Doug really, really painted an interesting picture here, so I just wanted to read that series of uh, DMs that he sent our way. So it gives you a really good sense of kind of that. We talked about the chip on the shoulder earlier, that, that underdog mentality that Coach Booth brought um, up in your interview, Matt. Uh, it's, I mean, it's clear as day still in, in this message from, from Mr. Common Swentz. But he says, early, early season 1997, Huskers come in with Tyron, Lou, Vincent Hamilton, and crew. Doug's team had seven new faces to go with Rod, Joel Templeman, and Kevin Mungin. Rod, obviously, Hot Rod, Rodney Buford. Uh, and Doug, in that second paragraph, says, I seem to remember Tom Chattel writing an article giving us no chance at matching up with Tyron or with Benson Hamilton, which was wonder- wonderful motivation. Big crowd, must have been 8,500, which, you know, you think about 8,500 now for a Jays game, you're like, whoa, is this the NIT against a random team <laughs> from the American East Conference or some other thing? But that was... That or was, DePaul. Or DePaul. <laughs> right, or four games at DePaul, which add up to eighty five hundred. Exactly. Um, you know, it's it's wild to think what eighty five hundred sounds like in that old building, but um, used to blow the roof off the place with eighty five hundred. Yeah, and uh, and at that time though, um, they really hadn't had many under Altman many crowds that size. Eighty five hundred mm-hmm. people get in there, and the Jays, as Doug says, they get out to a great start. Um, withstood a bunch of Nebraska runs throughout the game. They hadn't had any success against Nebraska since 91. And, um, and the fans, the student section were, uh, as he says, really wound up for a win like that, you know, cause that 8,500, you know, the majority were still red clad at that point. And, um, and they were just really, really pumped. They stretched out a 16 point win and, uh, you know, a day for Husker tears with Tom Osborne retiring that same day. I remember sitting at the <laughs> restaurant before um, the Jays basketball game started and the news coming over the air that Dr. Tom was retiring. And uh, Swenson, he brings up that the lasting image that he had from that game was uh, a Husker starter who he would not name <clears throat> giving Dr. Dan Colder an elbow to the back of the head on the last shot of the game. He said the coaching staff and the players all rewatched that on film a couple times. They were fired up, man. They knew that that was a big moment for them. Um, talked about Matt West stepping up as a veteran, playing big minutes, making some big shots. Um, and then he kind of went on to talk about how, you know, all the basketball players at that time, they lived at Kennefick Hall, which was, you know, a beautiful view and a short walk away from the Civic. And it was right when UNL hockey was getting started. And so they'd all sit around and they'd watch the off-ramp on the interstate back up with fans going to the UNL hockey. And, and they, would, they would just wonder aloud and talk about if they would ever pack the Civic Auditorium like UNL hockey did with you know, a brand new program. And um, He said you know, that Nebraska game was one of the few times where, where they felt like they filled that building. But as a former player, he's watched now and seen how this thing has just grown. <clears throat> excuse me, and, and the word he uses is astonishing to just see how everything's come come about and they leave the Civic for the new for the new digs. <coughs> excuse me. Getting choked up in here about the Civic now. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Hold it together. Hold it together. Right. Um, and he just adds that that game was a win that the coaching staff felt great about, not only because it was Nebraska – but it was against the bigger conference that the season before they lost two games, um, Minnesota, Missouri, something like that. In Puerto Rico, they lost some games that were real close, and they were just kind of on that cusp. And the players look back at that game, and the coaching staff looks back at that game as a real, as a real foot, uh, as a real stepping stone to where things, where things went. So I thought that was really interesting to get a player's perspective um especially one that was on those teams that were integral to bring uh, building the program out to where it is so i don't know matt you got any fond memories of the civic auditorium man too many to count <laughs> uh 
that Jerry Vanderhype one is the one that is embedded in my memory because, you know, obviously covering Creighton now, I'm sitting in I'm sitting in places that didn't exist back then, you know, when I was eight years old. So, you know, you got, uh, you know, we're covering games at DJ Silco Arena that didn't exist. Morrison Stadium, that didn't exist. CenturyLink Center obviously didn't exist. TD Ameritrade Park didn't exist. I mean, everything, everywhere that you, that we have to cover Creighton now was, I don't know what it was back then, but it wasn't any of this. So it's just kind of crazy to see just in that short period of time and, you know, half a lifetime, if you will, how much everything has changed based on what guys like Doug Swenson and Ryan Sears and Rodney Buford and Dana Altman all built through Creighton basketball and turned that into the monster that it is today. You know, I kind of think, and then you go back to the Ross Paulies and the Johnny Torreses, the guys who took Creighton to their first college cup as men's soccer, you know, and then you see Kirsten Bernthal Booth doing the same thing with volleyball now. It's just, uh, you know, and Ross coming in women's, women's soccer, talking about wanting to do that with women's soccer. Um, it's just crazy to think, you know, to see it happen before your eyes, the changes that have all been made. And the Civic Auditorium was really where it all started for me as far as the Creighton, you know, the Creighton fandom as a kid and growing up through high school and, you know, I remember watching Jim Flannery win, you know, an NIT, women's NIT with the Blue Jays on that floor. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle Korver became an All-American on that floor. Uh, you know, Rodney Buford turned into an NBA player on that floor. There's just, you know, it's hard to put. There's just so much that happened in that building that it's really impossible uh, to put one thing, um, you know, to pinpoint one thing. And I'm lucky that I was able to, you know, experience some of those last memories before they moved into the big Century League Center because I'm not sure how much enjoyable, how about very enjoyable it would be to have my own memory as the 2010 CIT. So um, <laughs> I feel bad for those people. but Unless you're South you... Dakota and you're like, I made the CIT <laughs> and I get to play Creighton and Jim Henry's going to be sitting in front row because he just happened to be in town that day. I mean... That's big, you know, that's big moments for the Coyotes, but. Yeah, however that started for you, I guess, is what I would say to that, but, you know, they missed a lot is all I'll say, and, you know, I was lucky to kind of get into the tail end of that and see Dane Allman turn Creighton basketball into a, into a big-time program. Yeah, I mean, besides Coach Altman's mustache, um, I think certainly like the best memories that I have. And this does, I mean, it does start to get a little bit emotional for me just because, you know, they closed that building down to Creighton basketball, 2010, notwithstanding, Uh, you know, a couple months before I graduated school. And I chose Creighton for undergrad um, in part, you know, partially because I just, I did, I loved, I loved what going to those games meant to me and, and my family. And, um, you know, as I met folks in school, some of you know the kids I went to high school with, we kept going to games together. But then it was fun to just meet other students and get them turned on to to hoops and and have the team be uh, kind of a rising program as we were working our way through school. Um, and then it really just kind of culminated senior year. You know, we we started the Altman's Army group, uh, about six or seven of us, and you know. It used to be that you could just show up whenever, get into the game, and and not really have missed much, and walk down in the student section and get one of the first seats. But you know, camping out for a couple hours before the doors would open to make sure that we would be in the front row, and having that proximity to the visitors bench right there from that corner of the the student section, and you know the height of Southern Illinois rivalry games with Kent Williams and uh, and Coach Weber there. Um, just how fired up people were, um, you know, it was just, it was something to, to really get caught up in. And, you know, that whole 2002, 2003 season, <clears throat> central Michigan be damned was, was just <laughs> like a, just a, just a great ride for everybody involved. And, yep. and to have it be the last regular season that was played in that building that had seen so many great seasons scattered throughout its history, um, and just use that as a trajectory point for the program. I think that was just, you know, a lot of great, 
um, spiritual type things as a sports fan kind of coming together. So, you know, Coach Altman, uh, having having Coach McManus kind of flip the switch on the scoreboard, it was a, a wonderful touch by the athletic department that night on senior night when Larry House went off against Wichita. Yep. Um, that was a wonderful time, but I mean, just the, you get some of these mentions in our, in our Twitter feed, you know, um, Kent Williams, I mentioned when they called the foul on the Jays and Southern Illinois escaped that junior Kyle's junior year in 2002 with a win that was just so brutal. And, and, and then the next season when Kyle hit just a couple shots that, I thought we we're going to break that building down when the when the Jays held on and and won, beat them in two thousand two, two thousand three at home. That mm-hmm. was mentioned a couple times. Obviously, uh, Rodney's uh, Rodney's antics a couple a couple times. The forty point game that he put up and and his performance um, against Oklahoma State when they really needed it in, in what was a crucial game. How about um, Kyle Corver against Evansville his senior year when? You know, the half-court line became his three-point line. He was just spotting up from ridiculous spots. I mean, everybody you know? remembers Roggy against Villanova, but, I mean, right. Doug, Doug's or Kyle's the original, you know, Roggy bomber out there. and Exactly. You know, it's the little things, though. People make a big deal in the NBA of watching Kyle's pregame work. Um, you know, but we saw that because we were there super early to try to get I, the seats. And, and watching Kyle, a friend of ours, get out there early and put that work in, and be unwavered in, in how he was approaching those games, even against, you know, Evansville was, was not good at that time, right? Uh, right. Uh, but, you know, treating all those games the same. But they were still the team. That was, they, they did beat Creighton uh, that year at did. Evansville. So they were, you know, when Creighton was ranked, I think, ninth at the time. Yep. Now that was one of Creighton's, you know, four losses in the Indian Summer Tournament was at Evansville. You know, in the rematch, Kyle, you know, he hit those, all those three pointers, but he was hitting them from, you know, 35 feet and, you know, in transition as the trail for, you know, inbounding the ball. And, Mm um, I swear, I don't think in his career, especially the last two years, I don't think he missed a shot in warmups. Seriously. I mean, it was something to behold, you know? Yeah. I mean, he would just shoot these from mid range three point, you know, he would shoot. He, he had a really strong routine going to get him, get himself ready for a game. And I, I just remember thinking, I was like, I just got to see him miss one because it was a rare occurrence. He just yeah. did not miss. No, and, and, and for the folks that, you know, they said their only time was 2010 <clears throat> CIT, we kind of joke, but, you know, they know Larry Bird. Everybody knows Larry Bird. And, mm-hmm. and when Apke and, and company beat Larry and Indiana State in 1978 in the Valley Championship, uh, you know, that, that, that garnered a couple mentions and, you know, it's not just a, a fly by night program that kind of had a couple rising years there before the building closed. Uh, there right. was a lot of great, there was a lot of great basketball played in that facility and it's, it is a shame to see some of that, you know, get pulled down. So. Yeah. I think my dad has told that Larry Bird story more times than I can count. <laughs> yeah. Back when he was in your position, you know, holding chairs above his head back when you could do that at the civic and yeah. All that sort of thing. The student section, he always used to tell me, he's like, you know, you see the student section in the end zones now. He's like, back in my day, the student section was the lower bowl. So, yeah. Yeah. So a lot of memories through him, through, you know, other people, and then obviously through my childhood and growing up. So we'll miss that place for sure. We will. Um, and, you know, but at the same time, I'm not going to argue with the digs that we've got now because, no. uh, like you mentioned earlier in the program, Everything is um, shaped up quite a bit on the east end of campus, to say the least, and the facilities that the current Creighton Blue Jays have access to are are really second to none, and, and it does allow coaches like uh, Coach Booth and Coach Polly and Coach Bolovich and certainly Mac and, and Co. Um, affords them the luxury when they're out recruiting to, to bring in difference makers that want to play in front of rabid crowds like the folks listening to this podcast, and play in buildings that are wonderful with 92-inch televisions and players' lounges and all the stuff that I am envious of uh, and would like to have in my own house. So um, they get the chance, and those things those things pay dividends with bringing in players. And, and um, as we get ready for another season of Creighton Sports, I'm sure we'll start to see those dividends pay out on the on the hardwood and on the fields as you're out there covering, covering events, Matt. So 
Um, you know, I really appreciate you jumping on tonight, and I know we'll. Uh, you did great. I was kind of so-so, I gotta say. So, you know, I'll work on some stuff here, and it'll be a work in progress. We'll treat this like our exhibition game. Exactly. Missouri State. You this know, was our un- awful performance. The unpredictability. Uh, trying to find the right tempo. Trying to find the right, uh, the right strategy here. But uh, we really appreciate all of you listening and supporting this. And if you have any feedback, anything you want to send our way. Obviously, whiteandbluereview.com is where you can go to find all of our contact information. We're at White Blue Review on Twitter or on Facebook as well. Um, and we look forward to getting everybody engaged with this uh, format moving forward. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and thank our guest, Maddie Moranis, for joining tonight. And we thank all of you for listening. And we hope you enjoy all of the coverage on whiteandbluereview.com. Um, make sure to hit it up on a daily basis to see what we've got for you and sign up for our newsletter so that you get first dibs on all the stuff that we publish, uh, moving forward. But with that, I'll just say thanks a lot for listening and, and go Jays.